0: Every career is a journey, every leader has a story. Welcome to Journey to the Energy C-Suite, where we look at the strategies and techniques that turn solid leaders into top executives. This is your place to hear practical wisdom and guidance from real people who know what it takes. With your host, Ryan Sanford.
1: Hey again, everybody, and welcome back to Journey to the Energy C-Suite. I'm your host, Ryan Sanford. It's great to be back with you. And uh, first of all again want to thank our great sponsors at the Price College of Business at the University of Oklahoma and their EMBA program in energy. You know the the first few guests that we've had on the show talked a lot about becoming a transformational leader and what that really entails. And if you're interested in that sort of transformation in your own career, Price College of Business would be a good program to check out. There there will be a link in the show notes. As always, you can go click on that and you can check out not just their EMBA and energy, but the other great programs they have in graduate and postgraduate education at the Price College. I also want to thank our partners at the OGGN um, doing a fantastic job. I had a great networking event a couple of weeks ago that I was able to attend and meet lots of great folks, other hosts and lots of listeners uh, and folks from the industry. So a lot of energy coming back uh, in the in industry this summer, and it's great to see the face-to-face networking startup again. Um, we have got another great guest for you today. I'm very happy to have a good friend of mine on today. He's a former CEO in mid-market companies and corporate VP in Fortune 100 organizations. He's a company and nonprofit board member, currently also a C-suite advisor and executive leadership coach with LHH, He is my good friend, George Head. George, thanks for joining us today. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing well. Good to be with you. We'll try to stay on point, but you know how you and I can drift into baseball on a variety of topics. So I'll I'll do my part.
1: Yeah, I I wanted to lead off with a baseball question, but I'm worried that that might eat up all of our time once you and I get going on baseball. We'll hold that to the end, maybe. Uh, Maybe a World Series prediction at the end if we can get one from you, George. But, uh, hey, you do a lot of work every day when you wake up. Uh, your calendar is filled with meeting with C-suite executives, with senior leaders and organizations that are trying to uh, get better at leading people. And uh, w- when you and I spoke the other day, you know one of the things that you mentioned was still very much on the forefront of a lot of leaders' minds was this idea of building trust, um, the, the interpersonal relationships that they're responsible for in their organization and building trust. And that, that thing has been around for a while, but it's still very, very important for leaders. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and the work you're doing to help leaders build trust?
0: Great. Yeah, it's an important topic. And, um, you know, whether it's somebody that I'm working with that's in career transition or whether they're, you know, men and women that are in executive positions, it's an essential part of, of, of leadership. <clears throat> you know, one of the one of the things that I've really learned to embrace in, in the last number of years is this notion that it's our reputation that drives our effectiveness as a leader. All right. I mean the, the essential definition of a leader is people that get things done. And of course how we do that is uh, is really the is really the key. So if if we believe that it's our reputation that drives our effectiveness, then we have to decide what do we want our reputation to be? And thus, what behaviors do I select? Um, you know, trust, oftentimes we think of as a, as a personality trait. And of course, some of it is, of course, intrinsically who we are. But trust is really the result of what we do and what we say, what people can observe. Uh, can observe. And so you know, once we get to this notion that reputation is key to uh, having good followership, I'll ask my clients, "If you believe that being trusted is acting in a trustworthy manner, what are you doing?" And then just I let them freeform on choices, and you know, most get three or four right away. You know, I I do what I say. Uh, I'm transparent. You know, I don't leave anything just below the surface. Uh, I try to be a good listener. Some that they they tend to leave out is humility or vulnerability. The willingness to say, I don't know, or I was wrong, or I made a mistake. And we've all been in that room where the best title just won't give it up. Everybody's (laughs) looking at their shoes or the ceiling tile you know, just say it. We all we all see it. We 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 get it, and uh, I usually get a smile out of it. They may be thinking of somebody else other than themselves, but uh, I, I think that's that's an important one. You know, I think that uh, how we talk about other people is also essential to achieving and maintaining trust. Um, a motto that that Stephen Covey had, and I. Was had the unique opportunity to take the 7 Habits course directly from him some decades ago. Very you know, cool. Career-impacting uh, thing for me. A lot of what he said I had been feeling as a young executive, but he could put it into words and context. And so saying to people what we say about them, that's a hard thing to do in any area of our life. But once we embrace that as one of our values, I think that's another essential step towards uh, achieving uh, sustainable trust. And then lastly, as I get into um, having the the client think about trust, I ask them to, uh, to think of someone that they have really good trust and then think about a tough business problem, a tough issue and how that conversation goes. And then I ask them to think of somebody where they don't have that trust and probably for all the good reasons and how that conversation goes. And then I ask, which is going to have the better business outcome for your organization? Well, of course, the high trust one will. You'll consider more options, the, uh, the speed, the accuracy, uh, revenues are better. Cost is better. Uh, customers are better served. Even if we misspeak, they know what we mean. And we don't worry about that second or third meeting out in the hallway. What are they going to say about me and the opinion that I had? So that's that's my view of trust. So it, it, you
1: mentioned business outcomes. It really is about business outcomes, uh, these, these interpersonal relationships and how trust plays a part in that. Um, You've coached lots of leaders. Um, I wonder if you have an example or two, a story where someone was struggling to build trust and over over time they were able to turn that ship around and, and achieve business results. If you have maybe a story or two that's top of mind, you could you could uh, share with us.
0: Yeah, I was uh, <clears throat> I was president of a mid-sized phone company in in Texas here. It's what got us down to Houston twenty four years ago. It was uh, one of the bigger landline companies. And so when I say landline, you know, it was some time ago.
1: <laughs> what is a landline, George? My kids don't know what that is.
0: That's right. And uh, we, were, uh, we were at a staff meeting and uh, we were considering a, a merger acquisition. And, you know, one of the key members of the team was just being way too quiet. And I know that they had good things to say. And it was apparent, perhaps from past business relationships, maybe even their personal life, that they just weren't willing to put their voice out there. And so, you know, my coaching behind the scenes was, hey, we, we, you have knowledge, your opinion matters, um, you, you need to get out there and say uh, what, you, what you see. And of course, he had some key facts and information that just hadn't surfaced. And when we uh, heard him out, built on what he was saying, other people withholding their opinion until they truly understood what uh, what he had to say, and I I would say it probably helped us achieve at least a twenty percent higher price in uh, when we were selling the company. It had that much impact.
1: Wow, that's incredible, and. You know, one of the other facets that you mentioned earlier, too, is is this idea of being a good listener so that that's one component of building trust. People need to need to know that you're listening to them Um, and uh, you do a lot of work in your coaching work with with leaders to help them become better listeners. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that.
0: I think most of us are taught. That being a good listener is being quiet uh, maybe nodding our head. Maybe we're going, mm hmm, mm hmm. But that's, it's courteous, but it's not active listening. Active listening is when we're participating in the conversation. It does require that we get the noise out of our head that we're trying to withhold our opinion until we truly understand what the other person is saying. Again, I, I'll use a cubby expression you know, seek first to understand and then to be understood And its hard work, especially if we're stressed or fatigued or it's a particularly difficult problem. We really have to have that situational awareness, that self-control. Empathy is often a a key component of listening. It's not sympathy, but empathy, truly being uh, in the moment with that with that individual. Uh, as you mentioned, I think that's a a key a key component or attribute of achieving trust. And so, Ryan, I'll ask you, uh, you don't have to answer, but <laughs> you know, you think of somebody in your career and in your life that was a good listener. What were they doing? And more importantly, how did it make you feel when you were in that conversation? And of course, the answers that I get, I felt valued, I felt respected. I I felt that I could say exactly what I meant uh, without holding back because I didn't fear a harsh judgment. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, you you think about my earlier story about that merger and acquisition that we were involved in getting somebody to uh, feel like they were being heard and respected can have much, much better business outcomes. I think in various industries right now, I think, there's not very good listening that's going on.
1: I wonder, from your perspective, do you think the uh, the, the pandemic and everybody you know becoming a Hollywood square over the last? year and a half where we're only seeing and interacting with each other through this screen and we see each other from kind of the top button up, it's um, it, it's somewhat dehumanizing after a while and people have Zoom fatigue and, and virtual meeting fatigue. Do you feel like that has impacted our ability to, to really listen to each other and to build the kind of trust that we're talking about?
0: Well, I think the quality of your question gives everybody the answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we listen... Uh, in, in ways other than words that are being spoken, right? At a minimum, we've got a filter of how we view the other individual, what, that, what our relationship is. Is there something just below the surface here? Um, but other ways in which we listen is body language, you know, just being in the room, being in the moment. And in the, in the Zoom Teams uh, video world, it's just really difficult really difficult to achieve, you know, the poet, uh, uh Maya Angelou, and, and I won't get the quote exactly right, but she says, you know, when, uh, when we're with somebody, we don't always remember the words they used or even what they did, but, but we never forget how they made us feel. And so your question I think is at the heart of that. We just miss that human interaction.
1: Yeah, I think you have to work a little bit harder to leave folks with that impression through a video screen.
0: Um, and I think the, the other uh, is um, what I would broadly describe as distractions. You know, I, I do my work largely by, by video and have for the last year, as a lot of us have. I can tell when somebody's doing their email or reading something or just not, not engaged and when we're in a room with people, you know, that that did and does happen. But being in the moment, I think, is a really important part of showing respect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about being a leader amongst a team of leaders. And one of the things you and I spoke about last week when we were talking about uh, all of these different issues was the idea that, that leaders often struggle because they're afraid to embrace conflict. Um, or even uh, tolerate conflict among their own team, and that, um, th- that that's an important skill for leaders, especially as they take on more senior roles to be comfortable with. Um, how are you seeing that play out?
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting how that topic fits into the issue of trust and listening and, and relationships? Um, you know, businesses, many areas of our life, but in business, we have to have those tough conversations. Conflict is essential to successful businesses. Markets are competitive, customers are demanding. We have, uh, particularly at senior levels, we have to make difficult choices among viable options. And if we believe that that's the case, which of course it is, we have to have the debate. And you know, with that debate comes disagreement Uh, We're human beings, so we're going to have some passion on our perspective and and just the way that our personalities show up in those situations. The absence of that conflict in debate is much worse. It is. It just leads to no decisions. Uh, The people in our organizations are always looking up to see how things are going. They know when we're being indecisive. They know when we're not trusting each other. And it has a lot, a lot of impact beyond, you know, we as a senior, as the senior team uh, you know, one of my colleagues, his, his analogy is, you know, these things don't get better with time.
2: Hmm.
0: It, it's kind of like working out or going to the gym <laughs> the first week. Eh, it's not too bad. Second week. Oh man. I, I don't know. I, I, Maybe may, I, I'm going to wait one more week and then we go there and it's just not good. <laughs> and it takes a long time to get back to where we yeah. were. And I think those relationships are, are the same way.
1: Yeah, so go ahead. I think you had, a, I think you
0: had one more. Yeah, thought the ahead. last point here is what we fear is uh, the impact on the relationship. Mm-hmm. But I found that just the opposite is, is true that we get through that portal of having a habit speaking directly speaking what's on our mind and if we've taken the time to build a relationship with that person they will know even in the heat of the moment or maybe it's coaching a subordinate they know that Ryan is doing this but he because he cares about my success and we can't expect them necessarily to like it in the moment but again We've got that relationship. I think it's highly likely that when they reflect, they'll know the why and uh, they'll be more likely to commit to, to making the improvement.
1: How hard is it to, to help leaders find the balance between being good at being direct uh, in, in their communication, but also you know something that can be a strength can also become a weakness when we overuse it? Um, And and oftentimes leaders, especially in today's climate in business, um, they're being asked uh, and their expectations are different. They're they're being asked to be more empathetic, um, to to, like we said earlier, to listen better, not just to their subordinates, but to the organization at large. And then so being direct, but also showing empathy. There's got to be a balance there. Is, Is that difficult now for leaders in this current environment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the old expression, the senior leader when I want your opinion, I'll give you mine. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, I I have these, uh, these quips that I like to use, you know, oftentimes when we're uh, being direct, embracing conflict, it's important that we be quiet. That, you know, we're not mind readers. So we have to start with observations. We can't say, well, you, you've got a bad attitude. Well, that's just going to start an argument, right? But if, Here, here's what I saw in this meeting, or here's what I see on this report. Then, then you can get to a more objective conversation because you're, you're wanting, particularly when you're, when you're coaching others, you, you're wanting them to be accountable for their behaviors accepting that that this did happen understanding that the expectation is is not being met and sometimes we just don't know when to be quiet yeah and the expression is oftentimes we need to let the silence do the heavy lifting Mm -hmm. yeah just that uncomfortable moment when nobody's talking that feels like 20 minutes is probably about 15 seconds at most
1: yeah, being comfortable with that space in between, where oftentimes we try to fill it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um,
2: yeah, so, the, broader,
0: the broader question of talking about uh, difficulties in the business, you know, I, I believe that people are smart, that they know what's going on. They're just wanting the senior leaders to acknowledge it in some way.
1: Hmm.
0: And I think, uh, you know, in, in, in the trust uh, list, I think we, we need to err on more disclosure. Now, we're not going to cross any bright lines with public companies or anything that um, would be untoward, but, uh, you know, treat people like adults, recognize that they see 90 plus percent of what's going on and just say it out loud.
1: I want to shift gears a little bit here, George, because you also do some really fantastic work advising C-suite leaders who are in a career transition process, and uh, that is uh, that is a very interesting work because the needs of leaders at that level that are that far along in their career when they are going through a transition are pretty different than than folks at, at individual contributor roles or even uh, lower levels of management. Talk a little bit about how leaders are different in, in what the world looks like um, from their window when they're going through a transition.
0: Yeah, really, really good question. I've been doing this uh, a little over five years now, so I've got a pretty good set of data points. You know, and clearly there's variance by individual um, in how they embrace what happened. You know, just understanding why they left the other role is an important starting point. Um, They clearly had achieved a great deal in their career, and uh, some were happy about it. Some are angry and resentful, and oftentimes it just takes some time to get past that. Uh, By the time these men and women have achieved these senior levels, um, they've been the one that people want. Uh, They're the ones that have been promoted. And oftentimes, they've never really looked for a job, maybe since college. Now, they've given a lot of people advice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but feeling it and doing it themselves, for some, is is a pretty big transition.
1: Um, And in leaders that are are really senior, we're talking about CEOs, CFOs, folks like that, that are finding themselves now in the position, maybe um, not quite looking to completely retire, um, but not quite ready to, to to jump into another full-time corporate role. There's this idea of a portfolio career, which I'm really intrigued by. I've seen a lot recently about some pretty high-level senior leaders who transitioned out of a full-time executive role with a, with a corporation, and they're pursuing what we're calling a portfolio career. Why don't you help us understand a little bit about what that is, and why is it becoming such a popular option for departing executives?
0: Yeah. You know, the the portfolio career in its simplest form is, all right, so you're not a busy 50, 60 hour a week executive. What are you going to do to fill up your day? And, you know, we need to talk about money as well. You know, how important is the money? And it always matters. Uh, Some may need a job and income. Uh, Others, it's more... uh, how they measure value. You know I don't need a full-time big executive job with, with cash and stock, but I, I want to be paid for, for what I know and what I can contribute. So you know we got to get through that portal first. But once we're there, then portfolio can be things like consulting work. It can be uh, paid board seats. And it can be, you know contributing in the community in some way it could be their faith. It could be a nonprofit. You know, what, what is your passion? Um, how do you feel about now being the time to, to give back? I mean, none of us got here by ourselves in any area of our life or in business. And so contributing those life's lessons, that wisdom, um, when we feel like it's an obligation, not just something to do, Then I think we're on the path to really helping those uh, those types of organizations. You know, consulting is something that uh, often comes up for those that don't want a full time job. And you know, Ryan, the number one reason that it doesn't happen is they don't want to get out and sell. You know, they got all kinds of work flying at them Mm -hmm. as a busy executive, and now that turns around. They've got skills. They would be great at the fulfillment side. But as you and I know from having lived in sales jobs, carried a bag, owned a mm-hmm. number, you gotta get out there and ask for the business. And and in the case of this, you are the product. So again, those that embrace that and, and do the real work do well. But that's, a, that's a less than half. Mm-hmm. Paid board seats. I often hear, well, I'll just get on a couple of board seats and maybe I'll play golf or whatever. It's harder to get a board seat than it is a job statistically by far. Extremely
1: fall. competitive right now for,
0: for board seats. Yeah, and, and really always has been. Yeah. You know, I often ask them, all right, so with your job title, uh, things you've done, how many people do you know that are on paid boards? And the answer is very few. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't be on paid board, but they got to think differently than maybe the public company they work for. Um, private equity, smaller firms, compensation may be more in stock than it is cash. Uh, you may need to start as an advisory board member to, uh, to get to know the people and them to get to know you. So th- those are out there. But uh, again, as important as networking is, to landing a job, it is even more important in the board world.
1: When you think about portfolio careers, how early in someone's career should they start thinking about that? It seems like a, a lot of a lot of the executives we're talking about kind of come to this awakening at the point where they're leaving their their organization. They're in their late 50s or early 60s or mid 60s. And now all of a sudden they're not the CEO anymore. They're not the CFO. But they're not ready to just go go fishing every day. Or, or play golf every day, and, and so I know a lot of the work you do is to help them really open the window of, of possibilities for all the opportunities that are out there, but are, are executives thinking early enough about those things, and should they be thinking maybe earlier in their career about what their their third act should look like?
0: Yeah, the answer is, is absolutely yes. Uh, I would say at least five years, and I think you hit the age range about right. You know, uh, you know, men and women that are leaving the executive suite in the 55 to 60 year old uh, age group are often unprepared for what they want to do next. And I get that. Um, I've sat in some pretty busy jobs and you're just consumed with getting the job done and, uh, you know, wanting to unplug at the end of one of those tough weeks. Um, it's just real important that, that they, uh, they take the time to reflect on what their interests are outside of the job that they're in. And how can life be different other than what they've been doing? And whether it's spouse, friends, uh, trusted colleagues, having that conversation, um, years ahead of that, I think is essential. You know, be, be, be vulnerable. Say, I don't know. Yeah, where could you see me adding value in the community or in other ways of business other than other than the job that I'm in?
1: Well, George, and that's something that you don't just advise your clients on. You've lived that out over many years now and tying a couple of those aspects together with um, contributing in boards, but also doing, uh, doing work on the behalf of organizations that are really making a difference in the community. You've been, you've been on several boards, um, but you have been the Fort Bend County Women's Center Board President for over 20 years now. And uh, I, I just want to talk a little bit about that. That's a really important organization to you. Does a lot of great work on the behalf of women in, uh, in, in Fort Bend County, which I happen to live in. Um, and I, I just wonder if you could take us back to, you know, why was that organization so, so important for you to get involved in in the first place? And maybe a little bit about how you're still contributing in the work that you guys are doing there
0: yeah well, I did have the opportunity to be uh, a board President uh, a couple of different times. Uh, as you mentioned, i've been been involved for uh, for over twenty years with that with that organization. You know, I first got uh, to be aware of them when I was president of uh, that phone company that that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, we served a, a good share of Fort Bend County and other uh, suburban and rural areas of Texas. and uh, you know, got on the board by nature of my job and, you know, the financial piece always matters. Um, but the more I learned about how pervasive domestic violence and sexual assault is in, in, in the country, as well as the community, it really sparked something in me that says I I need to find a way to make a difference. So one of the one of the key things, and I, I, I share this with people often, <clears throat> you know, we, we learn that uh, domestic violence crosses and happens to all ethnicities, all religions, all levels of income. We don't always see that with, with what's on television, but the brutal truth is it's a, it's a problem in in our society more deeply. And then others would say, well, George, is it getting worse? I'm just hearing so much more about it. I think the reality is it's always been a problem, but it's kind of been hidden away and tucked away. And so I think the more we publicize the reality of it and have women know that that they have choices, places they can go, Um, on average, uh, a woman tries to leave seven times before they're finally free of, of that violence and that mm. abuse. And so the, the earlier that we can help the women uh, understand what those choices are and uh, how to leave safely, um, you know, I think the more success that we have. And then um, you know, I was quite involved in, uh, in, in speaking to, to groups of younger people, some as early as middle school, but definitely high school, about healthy relationships which they may not see at home or Mm. may not see in movies or video games or songs as to how men and women should treat each other and to try to get a different vision than, than what they may be seeing around them.
1: Well, it's extremely important work. Um, knowing you the way I do, it's, it's just clear that you've, you've got a a real passion uh, for that. And over the last 20 years you've, you've been heavily involved in, and in, in helping lots of women and lots of families, the children that are a part of those, those homes that, that are impacted as well. So we appreciate what you do. I'll also include a link to uh, the Fort Bend County Women's Center in our show notes. So if any of our okay, listeners sure. want to wanna, um, log on there, click on the website and find a way to help contribute. There are lots of different ways to get involved. Uh, we'll also have George's bio there, too, if you want to reach out to George directly through LinkedIn. Um, he's always happy to, to meet a new friend. Um, and share some stories with you. Um, George, I really enjoyed the time today. This was really fun. Now, I can't let you go without at least one baseball question, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to pull out your crystal ball here. Tell us who's going to go into the World Series in, in both leagues this year.
0: Oh, wow. You know, I think that, that National League West, that's a powerhouse. I mean, between the Giants, uh, the Padres, you can never – count the Dodgers out of it, you know? And in today's game, if the pitching stays healthy, you know, certainly a five game, if not a seven game series, you can trot three or four people out there and it it make quite a difference. Um, You know, what a uh, shamefully biased Astros fan I am. (laughs) So I I think they can get there. I, I do. I mean, they, they lead the league in almost every offensive category. Um, they get this bullpen settled down after the sixth inning, I, I think I think we're in really good shape. I'd rather be us than anybody else.
1: Well, George, you, you got it right. I appreciate you getting the right answer there for the American League. That was a great job. Hopefully we'll see each other at, at some playoff games later this year, my friend.
0: All right, Ryan. Thanks for letting me offer my views, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you.
1: Hey, thanks, George. Uh, we'll see you around. Hey, everybody, thanks, thanks for listening again. We appreciate uh, you smashing that play button. Don't forget to go on our show notes, and you can find a link to our great sponsors at the Price College of Business at the University of Oklahoma and their EMBA program in energy. We'll also have links uh, to reach out to George if you're interested in connecting with him and also the Fort Bend County Women's Center as well. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you soon.
2: Hey, everybody! It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for July 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're always interested in staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on July 29th. Our June happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the June one, we hope to see you there this month at our July happy hour. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Don't forget that it's on July 29th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for July. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.
0: Tune in next week for another enlightening episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.